0: There was a study that came out in 1992 that basically said oh we found that women are more upset by emotional infidelity and men are more upset by sexual infidelity and so then we can sprinkle in some evolutionary psychology and infer that like oh well that must be because women are more upset by the idea of someone taking their provider away and men are more upset by someone taking their sexual object away Uh. um Podcast. I I
1: Forcing me to form to fit.
2: On this episode of the Multi Amory Podcast, we're talking about the science of jealousy. Jealousy comes up in all kinds of situations and in all kinds of relationships. But in this episode, we're actually going to be looking at some research out there and kind of what's actually going on under the hood of your,
0: your human emotional, vehicle. Emotional car?
2: Yeah. <laughs> Yes. Your, your, emotional your emotional car. car. Yeah. If you had an
0: emotional person? car, what would it be?
2: Uh, like a delorean or something really
0: wow looks, looks really cool but breaks that. down all the time <laughs> oh come on <laughs> you are such a cancer it's oh okay i've
1: sold so quickly such a cancer wow <laughs> <laughs> you really are a cancer yeah ah. i wouldn't mind being i think i mean i always want to say like a ferrari but like that's some bullshit so <laughs> i don't know like a, a like a mini cooper or a beetle
0: <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, okay. I you definitely okay. like, could see you as a Beetle. I mean, I, sure. I've had
1: two in my life, so yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. I do love yeah. that car.
0: What would I be? Mm. So it's <laughs> I feel
1: like, like something really like hippie. Like maybe, I don't know, maybe the classiest Subaru around.
0: Okay, I could see a Subaru.
1: Okay, I think yeah. I feel
0: like I'm not quite Jeep. I'm not quite, you know, full-on rugged open-air Jeep, but I do feel like my emotions could be like a, I don't know, as a Forerunner a Jeep.
1: Toyota. I don't, I don't, I don't, Toyota okay. Why do you
0: know that? I'm um. very, I,
1: I know quite a lot of car <laughs> things. Okay. I like cars. Because
0: me, with my emotions, I feel it's like definitely like if there's problems, just keep on trucking and <laughs> don't. See.
1: <laughs> until uh-huh.
0: until the car suddenly breaks down, but yeah. it's not going to give you any kind of indication. It's real, you know, tough. It could be like built a, to last. Grand, a grand a
1: yeah. Grand Cherokee, Yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Okay. Now I'm just
2: thinking about like different meta- metaphors for different metaphors for different cars. You know, like if your emotional car is a BMW, where it's like runs really great, works great, but when it breaks down, it's very expensive to fix because you need very specialized parts for it. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. (laughs) You know, (laughs) or like if your, if your emotional car is like a Honda Accord you know, like runs great. It's really tre- cheap to maintain, but it's also very popular to steal because, you know, <laughs> but what, the parts but how, are so but how sellable. That, what is like,
0: that? Okay, is I, that, I is that like, like people, like, like really easy for people to manipulate you emotionally? Maybe. Yeah, maybe. Because your
2: emotions are so predictable and, and the parts that make them up are so widespread, people can mm. more easily manipulate. I don't Jeez. know. I'm He's just trying just, to okay. come up well,
1: with karma for it. Please, uh, out there, you all let us know what your. Uh, what your emotional car is. I'm really interested in your discussion. I would love to know
0: that. Yeah. Anyway, to bring us back to the episode, yeah, jealousy, it's been a minute since we've actually directly addressed a full episode about jealousy. Yeah. Yeah. I feel personally, I mean, I don't know about what the two of you think about this, but I feel like we've avoided specifically talking about jealousy for a while now because for me, it's always the low-hanging fruit of anyone who identifies as non-monogamous. It's like, that's always the question. It's always the question. What do you, what do you do if you get jealous? Like, what if you get jealous? How do you avoid jealousy? And it's like very important questions, very important conversations to have. But I think in my personal life, I'm just like, oh, I'm sick of talking about this. And so what I tend to try to bring to the show is like, let's talk about anything but (laughs) this topic (laughs) specifically.
1: Yeah. I mean, are deconstructing jealousy episode was after we did that talk at berkeley mm-hmm. it was like basically centered around what we talked about there yeah mm-hmm. and yes. i think i mean a lot of people really liked it and and said that it was a great episode for them so i guess we kind of were like well we're not going to do anything else about it then for a while we're gonna quit while we're ahead yeah exactly and <laughs> like a hundred episodes later here we are again <laughs> it's pretty amazing i, I feel like that long i feel like part of
2: it too might be that it's it's not something that comes up for us very often going like, mm. oh, yeah, we haven't talked about that in a while because of how often it does come up. That's true. In conversations. Like if, you know, yeah. when and people in are... yeah, episodes.
0: Yes, that's we true. We talk well, about
2: it a bit. Yeah, that's true, too. But I just mean like, you know, anytime I'm interviewed by somewhere to like, oh, yeah. we're like, oh, we're writing a thing about non-monogamy and we want to learn more about it like those are always the questions Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and so I guess it's it's never like man that's something I haven't talked about in a while like (laughs) it's always kind of there you know yeah
0: so when I initially set out to research this episode I wanted it to be about the history of jealousy like the same way that we've examined you know, or like read books about or seen blog posts about like the history of romantic love, Mm, for instance, or the history of the concept of soulmates. Like I really wanted to know the history of just culture, like culturally in literature, in movies, like what, is our collective cultural story around jealousy. Mm-hmm. And I really wanted to dive into that. But I ended up taking, I ended up you know chasing this other rabbit of science, the rabbit of science. Um, <laughs> what does that <laughs>
1: rabbit look like? Is, science rabbit. Science rabbit, yes. Yeah.
0: So that's where I ended up going. I do still want to do that deep dive. And definitely, if anyone has any resources out there, anything interesting they've come across specifically about that, like the history of jealousy as a concept, I would definitely love to read it. So send it my way. Um, mm. But. We're gonna talk about science, because at multiamory we love science. Yeah, science. We we do love science.
1: Yeah, so okay, first we're going to talk about what goes on in your body when you feel jealous. And this is something like I really remember feeling when Mm. you and I started our polyamorous journey together, and I felt like a really intense jealous, like anger feeling like in my hands. Which oh. is, I it makes no sense at all. Like you're gonna I, punch
0: something? It, no,
1: it was like a tingling sensation, like mm. all through my fingertips too. Mm-hmm. And I I used to feel like a lot of emotions in my hands. Again, no idea why. Like I would, I could also feel like intense like
0: love in my hands and uh. intense
1: like huh. wow. anger, or various things. So. so your
0: emotional car is hands, actually
1: there you go although i will say like that's not something that i can point to anymore like i haven't recalled feeling that in quite some time so Mm. So any kind of emotion in your hands yeah not
0: not the same kind of thing i'll have Ah, to to think about that but way back in the day it was like jealousy lived in your hands at least in that particular moment that you're recalling correct Uh. interesting i think for me when jealousy has struck me the most intense it tends to be more stomach based mm. like it feels like my stomach's kind of dropped out and mm-hmm. like i definitely lose any appetite whatsoever oh, and it's, it's it's a mix between feeling like i'm really nauseated or feeling like i just have no stomach i think that's that's the thing a that lack comes to my stomach when, yeah when i think about times that i've been really really struck with jealousy interesting Jeez.
2: Uh, for me it's it's in my chest For Mm. me, it's like, it's like, um, like there's a weight, like I can't take deep enough breaths or like there's sort of like a a tightness there. Um, and I think for me, that's, that's also where like stress will show up for me is kind of in my like breathing or in my chest, kind of like, like, as if there's a weight there or there's something just kind of like constricting that part of my body. So it can't move as well. Yeah, so it's, it is really interesting that, uh, you know, we all feel it in kind of different parts of our bodies, and I'm sure other people feel it in other ways as well. And like, I, I get the stomach thing sometimes too, like mm-hmm. it's definitely all related, but I think kind of the, the main one for me is the chest. Um, so essentially what's going on here is this is something that's known as the acute stress response, um, also probably better known as fight or flight Or sometimes fight, flight, or freeze, since that is another option. If you've ever, you know, seen a deer in headlights, literally, that's the freeze version of the fight, flight, or freeze. Um, So this is something that happens when we're, basically when we're presented with a threat, right? Like a predator or a car coming at us. Um, Or, you know, if we're agitated or we're angry or we're scared, Right. And those feelings are very much related to jealousy. Right. If you think about jealousy in terms of the fear of losing something or um, feeling like it's unfair that someone has something that you don't kind of in either case, there's elements of like being agitated or being angry or being scared or feeling threatened. And so it's bringing up kind of those same responses physically.
1: Yeah, and other physical symptoms, the ones that we talked about, obviously, but then in addition, things like your heart beating faster, maybe sweating, uh, breath rate increases, um, you might get muscle tension, you might get sleepy in some cases, or shaky in other cases. Um, You might have things like butterflies in your stomach or a sinking feeling in your stomach, and that can happen because blood and oxygen are being redirected which is really interesting. Mm -hmm. Also, yeah, uh, the other really awful one is that sometimes what your sphincter
0: muscles like yeah it's, okay loosen?
1: So, <laughs> yeah well, so
0: the idea is that you know if your body's preparing to protect you from a threat it's redirecting all of its resources to the things that it thinks that you're going to need like your muscles so that you can be ready to run or increasing your your you know the rate that you're breathing or your heartbeat so that you can pump your blood better and, and you can get oxygenated faster but that means it's shutting down other parts of your body that are not like needed. your peripheral vision like, for like yes your peripheral yeah. vision um like your stomach your digestion shuts down uh one that i've read about is like the part of your brain that's responsible for converting your thoughts into speech into words huh. essentially that mm. shuts down and that's why a lot of people experience the sense of like not even being that's like the scared speechless hmm. thing right. yeah. and it's, it doesn't even have to be extreme fear but it's the idea of like just being totally paralyzed when it comes to trying to describe what's going on or yeah. trying to put it into words interesting um, wow and yes part of that is the sphincter too apparently <laughs> um, i think yeah. that also comes from um in a lot of animals that when they're scared that they'll suddenly poop or pee and that's also kind of like getting rid of extra weight essentially in some species so that Mm. you can run away faster and that still sticks around with us too so you know for some people when they get the fight or flight response they suddenly need to go to the bathroom i think that's pretty common Mm. yeah right (laughs) <laughs> um. so and it's not just the physical symptoms but of course like in your brain as well so like i mentioned where you know that section of your brain that's responsible for converting your thoughts into words shuts down um your mind is also going to be reverting into what i refer to as the radar system not our radar it's system not our radar. but like
2: call it something. Whoa, else. the yeah, traditional
0: the, <laughs> the doppler some kind of some kind of yes yeah some kind of ultrasonic subsonic some kind of sonic supersonic woman out of you yes a supersonic Uh woman in your brain who's (laughs) sweeping and just trying to keep track of like what are the things that are going to hurt me and so you're more likely when you're in this state your brain is going to be more likely to be thinking about all the terrible possible ways that this could go, like all of the really negative future outcomes. And it's also bringing up memories of stuff that happened in the past that resembled this situation. This is Mm. something that's referred to as state dependent memory. So as in, when you're back in a similar emotional state it becomes a lot easier to remember other times in the past when you were in that emotional state versus like if you're feeling great it's a little bit harder to for your brain to actually call up memories of a time that you were feeling crappy or feeling depressed or or feeling jealous for instance Interesting. Um, and the brain does this is is because again it's trying to protect you it's trying to make it a problem solving situation where it's like you go through the rolodex of ooh Was there something similar that happened in the past that was similar to this? Did that solution, could that solution that worked then, could it possibly work now? Um, You know, things like that.
1: Yeah. And speaking of brain functions, often it can be hard to just like snap out of the state because your frontal lobes are not engaged in this process. So we talked about this a little bit in the um, Wired for Love episode, which was 177, but the idea of like the primitives and the ambassadors. So the ambassadors are the things that like are able to reason with yourself and to say like, okay, wait a minute. Is this response that I'm having really, you know, justified? Is it something that I need to be doing? Do I need to be getting as angry in this moment or whatever in this moment as I am? Whereas your primitives just have that initial like automatic response and they're the ones that are not in your frontal lobes and are, you know, making that kind of flight, fight, flight, or freeze. That's very difficult it to is, say. Right? <laughs> yes. Um, but they're making that response as opposed to your ambassadors. Yeah. And then, and then kind of last thing we want to say about this for now,
2: we're hopefully going to talk about this a little bit more at the end of the episode with some kind of takeaways. And that's just to, to keep in mind that all of this came from a place of trying to protect you right, of your brain and your body trying to protect you from real-life threats, right, like actual predators or Saber other... Sabertooth
1: tigers. Right, saber-toothed <laughs> tigers
2: or other people trying to kill you or whatever it is, like an actual real like life-or-death kind of threat. And the problem comes about that because humans have this ability to think about things in the abstract and to... um you know, actually like call up certain memories or imagine things that this like fight or flight part of our brain doesn't always know how to tell the difference between what's a real threat and what's an imagined threat, right? This is why, say you go and you watch um, like a scary movie that you'll feel those physical Mm. symptoms of stress right like maybe your palms will get sweaty or maybe your mouth will get dry or maybe your breathing will get shallower, or your heart will race i know for me like playing certain video games oh, i'll look at God. my fitbit and i'm like oh boy that pulses up <laughs> yep <laughs> yep 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 because your body that that part of your brain that's controlling your body doesn't know the difference between the fact that this is just sort of a, a mental exercise in potentially <laughs> stressful situations versus actually being in those situations
0: yeah, the way that my therapist described it to me is that it's like your brain, and especially your your like your frontal lobes, your higher brain, is like using language. It, essentially, it's like texting. It's like it's trying to text your lower brain to be like, "Hey, this is what's going on. And This person said this to me, but then this person went on this date, and then I was like, I don't know how I was feeling." And your lower brain is like, "I only understand binary. Like, mm. I only understand ones and zeros. Is it scary? Is it not?" And mm if it's not scary, cool. And if it is scary, then I'm going to do what I do as a lower brain that the lower brain doesn't have a sense of nuance in situations, really. And that's why even in situations where it's like, well, clearly my partner going on a date and me feeling threatened doesn't threaten my life, but my body's still going to react as though it does. Mm. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: All right. So that's what's happening in your body. But I really wanted to dive a little bit deeper into like, but but like what's going on in the brain and like, why is this happening in the brain? And I went really far down the rabbit hole of jealousy research. And I really quickly found out there's a lot of jealousy research, but there's a lot of problems with jealousy research. And I really, I had to spend a lot of time researching to kind of find the stuff that was actually answering the questions that I wanted. And so I'm just going to break down a couple of the recurring things that comes up in a lot of jealousy research. That is maybe a little bit difficult. It was definitely difficult for me. Um, and the first one is what's known as the J, the JSIM or the J-SIM model. J, not uh, to be
1: confused with JSON. No, not JSON, JSIM. The J-SIM model.
0: And um, I didn't know it was called this, but it's basically the hypothesis is. And this was, um, there was a study that came out in 1992 that basically said, oh, we found that women are more upset by emotional infidelity and men are more upset by sexual infidelity. And so then we can sprinkle in some evolutionary psychology and infer that like, oh, well, that must be because women are more upset by the idea of someone taking their provider away and men are more upset by someone taking their sexual object away. Um, and everyone heard that and they're like, makes sense. Love it. Obviously. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> um, and I, I mean, I've, I, I mean, I first even heard that hypothesis from a friend of mine. It wasn't even in oh, the scientific yeah. general. It's just a friend of mine being like, this is a thing, you know, this is a fact. And they like, oh, I okay.
2: learned about it in psych class in college. Really? Yeah. No, like that's just just as if that's how it goes.
0: Yeah. Well, and so the thing is, so it was this was first published in 1992, and it has been controversial since then. I realized in researching this that in the academic and scientific communities, it wasn't like people were like, okay, great, that's a fact now. Um, it was controversial because since 1992, there have been countless studies showing that there actually isn't much of a gender difference in mm. the experience of jealousy. Um,
1: since 92, and yet like... Dr. Drew, I swear, recently (laughs) on a podcast that I listened to that had him on it said, like, essentially the same thing. Yeah. 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 It was like, well, you know, but women are... have a harder time with uh, emotional, you know, infidelity or just... They're more interested in emotions, and men are more interested in well, sex. Well, yes, it obviously. just so perfectly
0: fits into our already established cultural stories <sighs> yeah. about men and women of like, yeah. oh yeah, those emotional ladies and those horn dog dudes. Exactly. You right. know, they're like right. so. It totally so why makes would we sense. would question this? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and it's like even in the academic research, even researchers are still trying to puzzle over why did this one study produce that result? When and it was been... it just
1: one? It was just one, and then everybody sure was jumped on one. that bandwagon. Yeah, and then Tips. and why have there been
0: so many more studies that have disproven that? Um, And like, why did they get that result? Some people have theorized that, oh, maybe it has to do with intensity of emotion in general, that that's the difference between the genders that they surveyed. Like, I don't know.
2: Um, I remember I also heard a hypothesis that it had to do with um, men or women being conditioned to be better at imagining certain situations. Right, I remember that too. So there's like lots of different explanations for it. But the point is that it's been shown to not actually be true. That that's not yeah, that's not I necessarily think there's true. There's been
0: a lot of there's been some studies that have found that no, actually both men and women are just generally more upset by emotional infidelity than sexual. And so it's actually they're similar in that way. Other studies have shown not it's just infidelity in general is upsetting to people across the board. And of course there's variations in how upset people get, but it's not really split among gender lines necessarily is what they found um
1: yeah and does this next quote
0: come from the exact same study no so so the quote that's here comes from this book on jealousy that was published on 2010 by dr christine harris who is uh, specifically like an emotion researcher and she published a book specifically about jealousy and jealousy research um and how evolutionary psychology theories play into that
1: yeah and she said that ancient humans might not have been as nuclear family as cause people often assume. I mean, which makes sense. Like they were tribal cultures, right? Yeah. Way different than what we currently have. Yeah. So should I read this? Yeah. 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 Go All ahead and right. read the quote. The ancestral past may have been significantly different than the one envisioned in the JSIM hypothesis. In fact, very little is known for certain regarding the sociocultural environment in which humans evolved. One possibility is that infidelity may not have occurred at high enough rates to require the evolution of specific jealousy mechanisms. A very different hypothesis is that the ancestral past of humans may have been like many hunter-gatherer societies of the present, where sharing and cooperation are emphasized. Thus, individual males may not have been responsible for providing resources to their own offspring since the group shared food resources. White and Mullen.
0: 1989.
1: (laughs) Therefore, a man's inclusive fitness would not be as disastrously affected by cuckoldry as suggested in the JSIM theory.
2: Right. So in other words, to kind of like cram that all down into a simple concept is that if we're all sharing all of our food and we're all sharing in the raising of our children both of those theories go out the window mm. that men like had to evolve this thing to make them jealous of sexual infidelity so that they were sure they were only providing for their own children. Yeah, And that on the flip side of that, that women didn't have to worry, like didn't have to evolve some mechanism for being extra jealous of emotional infidelity because they were all being provided for by the entire tribe, not just by this one guy because he thought the kids were his. I don't remember
0: (laughs) who, who made this observation and I forget where I read this, but someone commented like, it's so interesting that it's like this, this is based on this story of like, well, you know, a woman has a baby and then she's, you know, she has to carry that baby so she can't go and get food for herself. So she's dependent on her male partner to go get her food and provide for her. But then someone commented, like, even if you believe that, that it's for some reason this very like diamond for nine months couple-y you thing. can't do
1: anything except for sit there and carry well, the kid. But even
0: if you believe that, it's you know, that whole problem is solved as soon as you invent the baby sling that as soon mm, as right. you're like oh i'm gonna take a piece of fabric and strap this baby to me so that my hands are free yeah that then it's like okay well now i can provide food for myself and then it all starts to fall apart that of this you know kind of painting this narrative already of even ancient human women being so 100 percent dependent on like a yeah. singular man instead like, of i don't need no man Shit. well it's not even that instead of just being dependent like codependent yeah. on a tribe of people or multiple people around them
2: mm, fascinating
0: yeah
2: um So another one is that basically in the research stuff has been shown that basically things have shown that jealousy responses can be linked to relationships lasting longer. Like they did these studies measuring people's relative amounts of jealousy. And they found that people who were like more prone to experiencing jealousy were more likely to be in that same relationship after 10 years or I forget exactly how long it was in this study.
1: Yeah. We'll talk about that in a second.
2: But what the study didn't ask was like, it didn't try to take any measures of whether that was a good relationship, whether those people were happy or if being more jealous just made you more likely to hang on to and stay in an unhealthy and unhappy relationship. Mm -hmm. Um, So that, that I thought was kind of interesting and that a lot of the, Studies are kind of like based around this idea of trying to make the argument that jealousy is something that we've evolved and that it's like somehow we've evolved it because we need it. Mm. Uh, Whereas there are other people saying, well, actually, maybe it's more of just kind of a side effect of other things and other ways about the ways that we work. Kind Kind of like dreams, you know, where we don't really know what those are all about. Like why we have those like, like
0: hopes and dreams? Like why would no, we like literally to have hopes? No, I know. Literally dreams. Oh, I'm, literal dreams. I riffing. Yeah, I'm riffing. I'm riffing. Such
2: a joker.
1: <laughs> such a joker. Yeah. Um. I mean, you just said exactly what this quote was, so <laughs> I guess you can just keep going. Yeah.
2: Oh, it's just yeah. That um. What was it from 1978 to 1985? Yeah. So what's that like seven years? That that people who were
1: yeah more, more likely yeah
2: we're more jealous we're more likely to still be with that person after those seven it's years really
1: interesting yeah yeah and then those who were lower on the jealousy scale were less likely to be involved with that person i mean yeah just
2: that those yeah. two yeah. correlate yeah, yeah that but, is
1: fascinating it's like why the, though, and like well I, yeah i mean to me like the only thing that that potentially suggests is that someone's like well, I need to hold on to this relationship or this person because, again, I don't want someone else to get it, which is not necessarily the case, but because they didn't ask like what the relationship satisfaction of those people were,
0: yeah, that's one been, could
1: a- yeah. assess that, yeah.
0: That's been the thing in a lot of this research is that There's a number of research, you know, there's a lot of research that's like, oh, like jealousy is useful or Mm -hmm. even positive in the sense that it produces these like relationship preserving behaviors. But But, like that's maybe kind of shitty too. (laughs) But then they don't also ask the follow up question of of, like, how does your partner feel about your relationship preserving behavior? Yeah, like (laughs) what exactly does that mean?
1: Like what is, what would be an example of a relationship preserving behavior?
0: Well, okay. Well, the standard, the standard story is... Like the very basic story is like, oh, you see your partner flirting with someone else. So your relationship preserving behavior is you go over and like cock block them in some way, I guess. Like, <laughs> yeah. Or like, yeah, you know, I feel like that's on the Hit positive that guy
1: or whatever.
2: Well, sure. I, I think I think the example Dedeker gave is the one that's given kind of in support of that. Right. It's mm-hmm. like, yeah, you feel this jealousy. And so you're going to do something to stop that from happening. Either go and join that conversation and kind of assert your place, you know, like scare the other person off, essentially. Um, Which I guess, you know, scientists could view that as like, oh, that's a, you know, positive thing. It's like, Alerts you to keep an eye on your partner. <laughs> it's very problematic. Uh, yeah, it's but, problematic. but on the very negative side of it is that that extreme jealousy leads to things like keeping your partner isolated from their friends and mm-hmm. from
1: mm-hmm. other Her people, family and, yeah. right?
2: Essentially leading to abuse. Yeah, that like both of those are mechanisms that you could say uh, do serve a purpose of preserving the length of that relationship. Yeah but at what cost in either situation is very different from the other. Yeah. Definitely. yeah. So
1: you were talking about attachment theory when we were discussing this episode. And it, how do you think that this all like correlates to attachment theory? Because we've, we've spoken about that at length and well, I think we could even do even more episodes <laughs> about it, but we have yeah. talked about it in various episodes Yeah, I just wanted
2: to bring it up because, um, in, um, another one of these papers that we read, this one was by, uh, Harris Darby, I believe. Um, this one was kind of a, yeah, sorry, Christine R. Harris and Ryan S. Darby. There we go. Two different (laughs) last names, um, that they sort of did this long kind of review of all of the research that's out there about jealousy in 2010 when they wrote this, I believe. Mm Um, and, uh. You know, kind of trying to put that together and kind of reconcile some of the different findings, the different studies have found. And when it came to attachment theory, that's often brought up in relation to jealousy. And you know, go go listen to our episodes where we've talked about attachment theory for more about that. But um, what I thought was interesting was specifically looking at people who are securely attached. Um, So those people tend to have a fairly good opinion of themselves and also a fairly good opinion of other people. Like they're more likely to be trusting, less likely to constantly be worrying about the state of their relationships. And so some studies have hypothesized and then gone to show that securely attached people are less likely to feel jealousy. Mm. Like when imagining certain situations, they'll report lower levels of imagine jealousy about that situation. But then in other studies, they had shown that securely attached people were more likely to react angrily, like to react with jealous anger.
1: That's really interesting. Um,
2: Yeah. And I guess they were trying to make the case that somehow...
0: to get you not just the 50% discount, but also the 100% free shipping. Code M-U-L-T-I.
2: These securely attached people... Are just more likely to have like a good, strongly evolved relationship preserving mechanism or something mm, like that. Really the kind of the hypothesis for kind of why icky. is weird and a little icky. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Cause when I think of a securely attached person, I do not think of a jealous person. And I don't I think, think of, of an angry person either. No, totally. Uh, yeah. yeah. I think of someone who has like a good handle on those emotions.
0: Well, it's, I, I think that the recurring theme here is that it's, I feel like culturally and socially, we're always riding like this line between. Do we think jealousy is a healthy thing that comes up in relationships and is an admirable thing versus do we think it's not so much of an admirable thing? And I feel like even anecdotally, just talking to people on the street, I feel like it goes both ways. Like there are some people who are like, seriously, if my partner's jealous, like that's a huge turnoff, like I'm really not into it. And then I also feel like I talk to the equal amount of people who are like, You know, if my partner doesn't act jealous, then I'd be worried, Yeah, you know, or kind of equating jealousy with love or or attachment to a certain extent. And so I do feel like that, that what the fact that we're seeing this in the wide array of studies and surveys, I think that does reflect in the general population as well.
2: Yeah. Can I read these two quotes that were at the top of this uh, sure. This thing that Harris and Darby put together? <laughs> Harris Darby. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, they put these two quotes at the top, which I thought was great. One quote goes, if you have not experienced jealousy, you have not loved. Uh. And the second one is Jealousy, that dragon which slays love under the pretense of keeping it alive.
0: I was kind yeah. of like two sides of the same coin. Exactly, yeah, that they started really this whole thing
2: showing how, like... And these are, you know, St. Augustine and Havelock Ellis, like, both, you know, well-known um, philosophers or whatever you would call them, um, that come down on very different sides of this. So, yeah, I love that they showed that, like, right at the start of this article.
1: Well, and I suppose, like that yes usually if you are in a relationship at some point you will feel jealous and that's not necessarily a bad thing Mm -hmm. but it's something to at least be aware of and be aware of like how it can potentially make your relationship not good Mm, to think about that yeah Yeah.
0: okay so now we're going to get into what i personally think is the really interesting stuff um as i poured through all these studies and all these different opinions and all these different like surveys and papers and journal articles, I found this one survey, and um, the results of which were published in 2017 in the Frontiers of Psychology journal. And the title of the article is pretty on the nose. It's the evolutionary psychology of envy and jealousy. And now, even though the phrase evolutionary psychology is in the title. The article itself is actually quite critical of evolutionary psychology itself, which I think is what got me to actually keep reading because Uh I've also become quite critical of evolutionary psychology in recent years. Um, Understandably. Yeah. We're going to talk more about that in the bonus content, but anyway, they specifically, they were trying to figure out, you know, how, like, how does our jealous and envy, like our jealousy and envy responses, Like, how do they tick? How do they work? Like, what motivates them? Essentially, Mm. Um, because you know the standard explanation for why this kind of nuanced emotion would have evolved is it's like, well, someone has something that you want, and so so you know you need to go and take it. It motivates you to go and take it or to get it for yourself or something like that. Like, you know, it's motivating you to preserve the relationship in some way. But the findings that they found from this survey. We're actually really, really fascinating.
1: Yeah. So one of those findings is that we tend to be more envious or jealous of someone who's similar to us, but doing a little bit better. So like rather than someone who's doing like way, way better than us. So if we have a neighbor or a friend or someone out there who's doing, you know, slightly better than we are in their, I don't know, in their job, like they're making a little bit more money than we are, then we tend to be more jealous of them than we would be if someone like bill gates or jeff bezos (laughs) dick yeah right so our sense of envy and jealousy correlates to how relatable or attainable we feel that the other person's situation is
2: yeah it's so interesting because if you try to make that argument of like oh it's just about because we want the thing someone else has then you'd think you would be more jealous
1: of something like larger of the bill gates's or the oprah's of the world well maybe they're jealous of each other Because, like, they have similar types of Mm -hmm. notoriety, I guess.
0: And I think it's not to say that, like, you're not at all jealous or it's impossible to be jealous of someone like Bill Gates or Oprah or whoever. But they just found that people are just much more likely to feel jealousy when it is like someone similar to me is making a little bit more money Mm -hmm. versus someone who's mega rich.
1: Yeah, I'm jealous of podcasts people who make their entire living <laughs> off of that. Yeah. Jason, right. and I had a
0: conversation about that yeah. the other night when we were looking through all this stuff. Yeah. 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 25
1: million downloads. Gosh. Uh-huh.
0: Yeah.
2: So, so what's interesting is something similar to that is um, like kind of being th- th- that, that will be more jealous of someone say like a coworker at work who you feel like works just about as hard as you is pretty much appear to you and they get a promotion. Mm. You're probably going to be much more jealous of that than someone who's just better than you, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? Maybe they work way harder than you and they get the promotion or they're way more skilled or something. When they get that promotion, it's more likely to move into admiration. Yeah, that's And really like, wow, that person's great. They really deserved that. Maybe, ah, oh, I wish I was more like them, but... It's not kind of that same, like, what the, just life is so unfair. Like, why did they get that thing? And I didn't, right? There's like a different quality to it. And something that didn't get discussed in this, I just wanted to point out is, I feel like this is kind of true on the other side, too. If you see someone who you perceive to be doing much worse than you, that you're also less likely to be jealous of them, too right like, as in
0: wait as in someone why would you be jealous of them wait someone who's doing much worse than you getting rewarded
2: yeah getting something I good see. Right? Oh, I like see, you, I you see. have a friend like say say like you date a lot but lately you've been having some trouble finding dates and you have a friend who like always struggles with finding dates and they find a date you're, you're probably going to be more happy for them mm. because you kind of perceive them to struggle with this more than you interesting and so it's like oh good for you like i'm glad you're you're coming you're going, up you're even out if there. or like with a job you have someone you know who makes a lot less than you and you've also been gunning for a promotion at your job and you're frustrated you're not getting it but then this person who makes less than you gets a promotion you're still more likely to feel positive about like oh that's great i'm glad that's working for you i hope it will for me too yeah mm-hmm. as opposed to someone similar to you or just slightly above mm-hmm. you being like oh why couldn't that be me yeah but I think it's kind of interesting on on both sides, yeah, that's like once interesting. you move out of your right. immediate peer group, that's where it becomes an
1: issue right
0: now I'm gonna throw one more log on the fire here.
1: Ooh. Yeah. you and your meta metaphor well, okay, this is
0: just a little bit mind blowing to me, and yet it makes perfect sense. So they found that we're more likely to be to feel envy or jealousy of someone who has what we want, regardless of whether they are happy or not. Mm. Now the question they used in the survey, a little bit troublesome. Um, I'll just warn you about that. But this is the question that they asked um, was, let's say that I can prove reliably either by brain scans or something like I can prove that a, you know, the Dalai Lama is way happier on like abstract, but a very real scale. Like the Dalai Lama is for sure the happiest person on the planet. Really? Um, I mean, okay. <laughs> like, okay, like this is a hypothetical. 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 Yeah. Oh, okay, Let's okay. say I could prove that the Dalai Lama is extremely happy. Okay. Do you feel more jealous of him, or do you feel more jealous of someone like, say, Hugh Hefner, who has just like a ton of money? really nice house, limitless limitless access to attractive women, but we can't tell whether he's happy or not.
1: Well, he's no longer with us. Well,
0: uh, Emily, you got to come along with me. This is the example they used. (laughs) It's called Uh, a hypothetical. Anyway, they found that people were just way more jealous of Hugh Hefner than they were of the Dalai Lama. Even when there's, you know, a a concrete way of proving like, yeah, this person's much happier. Mm. And I think it makes perfect sense because you know we look at so many people who are rich who are attractive who are well off who have everything they need um but are absolutely miserable and yet we still envy their lives anyway hmm, you know yeah, we've seen time and time and time and time again that the the traditional hallmarks of success do not necessarily equal life satisfaction or contentment. I mean, look at how many celebrities and how many people who are well off who kill themselves or who struggle from depression. It's like so clear. And yet we still are more likely to feel envious of them anyway. Yeah. Mm. More than we would of someone who maybe is very poor or not very well off, but who was for sure happy. Yeah. And that's Money doesn't
1: buy happiness. Yes. But
0: we don't, actually believe that in our emotional car. I know. <laughs> like, our emotional car doesn't believe. Our that. emotional car <laughs> does isn't hearing it. That's what the right. name of this episode should be yeah. is. The emotional car. <laughs> People will be like, what? You know, we're not it's so it's like there's some part of it that this is not actually pursuing happiness or peace or satisfaction. You know, yeah. and that's what I think is really interesting.
1: Yeah. This next one I had a little bit of a hard time wrapping my brain around, but I understand what you're saying here, Dediger. That okay, if there were repeated examples of being jealous, not of the final level of intense pleasure or happiness, but of someone having access to and only slightly enjoying something for which you have a modest desire for and will only modestly enjoy, but you don't have access to. Hmm. Does that make sense? So, yeah. So if somebody <laughs> has access to something that you kind of sort of want mm-hmm. and you don't, and they get it, and you don't even know if they really care about it or want it or not, you will still be jealous of that.
2: Right, that that you're more likely to be jealous of those things than... It's kind of similar to the barrier to entry.
1: It's like mm. if somebody out there has access to, like, yeah, a Ferrari, and I, you know, or a Tesla. I have a friend who has a Tesla 3, and I'm like... Oh, like I don't know (laughs) if I would actually be much happier having a Mm. Tesla three than my Fiat, but (laughs) I want it. Mm. I definitely want it, and I am jealous of it. So even Mm. though, like, I don't know if she's happier having it either.
2: Right, it's kind of similar to the last one. Yeah, that it's really not so much about the happiness that they get from it or the happiness you would get from it. Yeah, but just the fact that they have a thing that you can't
1: yeah we all want things that like yeah, the grass is always greener, exactly yeah, exactly
2: yeah um Another one is that we've we've kind of talked about this on the show in the past when we've talked about jealousy, but uh, the researchers in this, they theorize that envy and jealousy may have evolved to motivate us to also go out and get these things that other people have done, um, and I suppose you could see in that way that that makes sense. That if, if jealousy, if like the purpose of jealousy was to help you be motivated to go get things that you didn't have, you know, to work harder for those things or to achieve them, that then it makes sense that you would feel that more strongly for things that seem more attainable, right? People who are a little more similar to you, have similar resources to you or, or a little closer to you, you go, ah, I'm going to get this extra motivation to go out and get that thing. Uh, That that makes sense, as opposed to someone who's just so far out of your reach that it's like, well, you know, what's the evolutionary point of being really motivated to go after this thing that seems so far off in the future?
0: Right. This is an interesting thing that they covered in this survey is and okay, bear in mind, this was not a survey that was about infidelity or non monogamy. But this question came up um, and they specifically asked the men who are participating in the survey if your female partner had sex with someone who is not you and that person was a man or that person was a woman, which one do you feel more jealousy about? And it was like 96% of the respondents of yes thought that their female partner having sex with a man made them feel more jealous. Yeah. Which if it doesn't sound familiar, it should because it's Like a one-penis policy? Yeah, well, that's usually what motivates one-penis policies, I feel.
1: Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah, absolutely. This can kind of be like an explanation for people out there who want to do one-penis policies, but I don't think it's a good justification for it. But yeah, that idea, I mean, absolutely, this has happened in relationships that I've had. Oh, wait.
0: Yes. I'm so sorry to interrupt again, uh, because there was a second part to that question that I forgot. It, oh, like So they, they yeah. did ask the one question of, like, you know, just basic man or a woman, which one makes you feel more jealous? Sure. They also asked a question of, like, if your female partner had sex with a woman... And had a really incredible, amazing, pleasurable experience versus if she had sex with a man and had like an okay experience, they still found her having sex with a man was much more jealousy producing than her having this much better sexual experience with a woman. Um, And which, of course, we could go into a whole thing about how we feel about, you know girls having sex with each other <laughs> and um mm-hmm. and whether or not female female relationships are valid or not in in society's eyes we could go into that whole thing but it's kind of like outside of that it really supports what we were saying earlier where they find it's not about what the actual end result is it's like you're not jealous of her experience of her sex being great like you're jealous of of like how penis. you yes yeah just
1: this idea that you know another person's penis could do things that my penis can't do (laughs) and that you know that therefore you know i'll be i'll feel emasculated or whatever um i think that 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 has come up in a lot of conversations that i've had with people mm -hmm. over the years about you know dating men or women or people just being like yeah i'm fine with you know my female partner having sex with you know other people who identify as women, but
0: mm.
1: but not not men. No, that I I wouldn't be okay with.
0: Well, okay, but often it isn't even that expansive of. I'm comfortable with my female partner dating other people who identify as women. Mm -hmm. Often it's much more specific. I'm only okay if this other person has a vagina. Like I'm not okay if this person has a penis. I don't care what their gender identity is. Yeah, you're absolutely right. If
2: I can kind of loop this back and relate it to the first, the first sets of studies that we were talking about. So this one here is talking about jealousy and envy, and it's kind of asking questions, trying to tease out like what really What is it really about when we say we want what other people have or we want, you know, the happiness that other people have and kind of showing here like them being more similar to us makes it more threatening um, that uh, their happiness really has nothing to do with it. It's just them having access to something that we don't. Um, But if we look at the other studies about jealousy, which focus more on the type of jealousy, that's like fear of losing Mm -hmm. a relationship Like a, like we talked about, um, with, uh, what, what would be an example? Like, um, you know, like with your caregiver giving attention to someone else, like that kind of jealousy or a romantic partner being interested in someone else and showing that jealousy helped make these relationships last longer by like reacting to those threats or like driving you to react to those threats that I think that, that people would make the argument Like, oh, well, that's what's happening here. It's not about whether she's having a good time with this other man or this other woman, like, or that she's having a much better time with this woman than with a man. But it really comes down to this idea that I perceive the threat of this other man as a more real threat to losing my relationship. In this case, I think it's not so much about gaining, Mm. but it's still problematic in a similar way yeah. of saying, well, like, well, why is it that you are evaluating this person as like a real threat, whereas you're evaluating this woman as not a real threat. Yeah. And that does go back kind of in the same way to a lot of this like very um very ingrained, very uh unexamined sexism um that we have, you know, in our society that we're that we're taught. Well, there's a lot of that like, yeah
0: just all over the place just all over it's like roadkill yeah really gotta dodge <laughs> it with your emotional car
1: yeah well
2: oh, i see we're bringing back the car Yeah, yeah,
0: so with
1: all of this what are some takeaways what can we like gain and put in our emotional cars so that our emotional car <laughs> is like the savviest awesomest you know fastest right like better shocks yeah. Uh mm-hmm. you
2: know, make sure More we cylinders? like cylinders clean out our oh, carburetors like or do. fuel injectors yeah. or you know, what, yeah, yeah, whatever yeah. things. Change your alternators. I've had some of those go out on me.
1: There you go. Uh, yeah. It's always <laughs> impressive to me that like you knew how to like change your own oil. Uh yeah, you know you, that's you change my oil a couple times. Which is Yeah. Hugely, oh my gosh. Oh, good <laughs> God. Uh, yeah,
2: it's, it's important to change the oil on your emotional car. Yeah. Um, I had a friend in college who, um, you know, our parents gave her a car. To drive out to college, and at no point in her life had they ever taught her how to take care of a car or like the maintenance that needed to go into a car. She didn't know you had to get your oil changed <gasps> because no one had taught her that.
1: Oh my oh god! Dear. And
2: after like a year, her car just completely locked up and was no. totaled because she'd never put oil in it and never gotten it changed. No. But like you got to learn I these need things. to get my so... oil
0: changed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I want to double up now. <laughs> <laughs> no,
2: but but anyway, you know, yeah.
1: yikes. So
2: it's important to understand at least a little bit about how your emotional car works so you can do some Uh, of this So you don't
1: lock up and, you know, are totaled.
2: (laughs) Right, right. Um, Okay. So something that can actually be very helpful about these studies is just realizing that these things are happening inside of us and that we do have these tendencies. Like with a lot of um, psychological studies and things like that, people can get very discouraged by them because they'll learn about something like cognitive dissonance or about these studies about jealousy and just go, well, fuck, I'm damned to just do (laughs) these terrible things and always have these assumptions. And right. Rather than looking at this and going, okay, if I understand that these things like that, I, that I do probably naturally have a tendency to react in these certain ways and that it's probably coming from these certain things that actually empowers you to be able to do stuff to change that, right? Through changing your thinking or through just kind of remembering that or or becoming aware of it. Yeah, like the whole knowledge is power, you know, the more you know. Um, So I think one thing that is really helpful is to remind yourself, and I found this to be helpful for me, is to really remind yourself and check in of like, what is it that I actually want? What is it that does actually make me happy? Because maybe I'm experiencing jealousy right now over something that I don't even really want that much. And I definitely don't want it enough to put in the effort to get it like someone else has. And for me, at least a lot of the time, just having that realization really helps take the edge off. Like for example, if I have a partner who's going on a lot of first dates um, and I could feel jealous of that when I think about it, I'm like, you know what? I really don't want to take time for that right now. That's not really what I'm looking for right now. Um, You know, or maybe my partner's having a lot more of a certain type of sex with other people than I'm having. And it's like, well, maybe that's actually not like a kind of sex or I'm not really feeling like I'm lacking sex in my life. But it's like I'm just feeling jealous because someone could get something that I don't think I can. And just having that realization is so helpful.
0: Yeah, I think learning about all this and reading about all this, is just so fascinating. And and I think the main takeaway for me and that I would want to impart to other people is that like, it's not, it's not wrong. First of all, it's not wrong to feel jealousy. Like it's not wrong to feel these things. It's, it's a thing, (laughs) you know, like it's there for a reason. It's part of our nervous system. Again, it's part of this whole complicated system that is protecting us. And it's okay that you feel something and your feelings are not necessarily facts. It's, you know, like just because you feel this way, it doesn't, you know, you feel, you know, like in Jace's situation where it's like maybe you feel jealous that your partner's going on a bunch of first dates with a bunch of different people. That you don't have to jump straight to, oh, that must mean that's what I want. So I have to pursue that too, you know. Maybe after you examine it, you do realize, hey, actually, it would be kind of fun to go on a first date. So maybe I do feel motivated to put in the effort for that. But maybe upon examination, you realize, actually, no. <laughs> actually, I'm <laughs> kind of glad. I don't that at all. Yeah, being yeah. able to have my time. And so it's okay. Just put a critical eye on your own feelings and on your own thoughts. And and that'll serve you.
1: Yeah. And when you're going through these emotions, understand that they're, you know, biological responses to a degree. So you can thank your brain and your body and your nervous system for doing things that they were meant to do. Because again, your body is just trying to make sure that you're safe. And even if it's not like putting a lot of thought into why, or (laughs) if that's, you know, a valid concern at that present moment it still is doing the thing that it's meant to do and so you know it's okay from time to time instead of getting angry at yourself like oh why am I so pissed off right now or oh why am I so sad right now or why do I feel jealousy or whatever it is to be like hey like I'm having a biological response it's gonna be okay thank you body for doing that Mm -hmm. I'm good really (laughs) but (laughs) you can calm down but thank you for taking the time to do what it's meant to do
2: yeah. I love that. Like just that, like, it's not cause you're broken. Yeah. You know, it's just like. Something no, to is...
1: learn over, over the years for sure. Yeah, I think like, from all of us. Your mm-hmm. body's just trying
2: to take care of you. It's just yeah. doing its best. You know, your brain it is trying to take mean. care of you and, and it doesn't always do the best job of it, but it's trying real hard. And just, I think just <laughs> accepting that can be, yeah. can be so good. Um, And then another one that this came up in one of the other studies here is that there have been studies showing that, our perceptions and our reactions to jealousy situations um, does really change depending on kind of the 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 status and the relationships between all the people involved. And so in these studies, they've shown that, um, you know, children as young as like six months old will express uh, jealousy, essentially of their caregiver, giving attention mm-hmm. to someone else over them. And so that's part of that argument of like, well, jealousy is this, you know, it's this evolved thing that helps us to get the care and the connections that we need. But what's interesting about it is they found that as early as four years old, um, we start changing our understanding of these threats. And so in the example here, which is from a 93 study by, oh boy, Monskiuk <laughs> and Keenapple. <It's>
1: like pineapple.
2: <laughs> I just took a stab at those two there. Um, That in this study, they found that as early as four years old, that children will be less jealous of their caregiver giving attention to an infant than they are to someone else who's more of a peer. The idea being that by four years old, they have enough understanding to see that infants need more care than toddlers do like they are, right? They understand they need that. And so attention being given to them, isn't going to be perceived with the same Mm. level of threat. Um, And I think that if we take this, this knowledge to just go like, look, see jealousy, isn't something that's just fixed forever. But as we learn more about other people in the world and other people in that situation, and we kind of broaden our understanding like that infant has uh, by the time they're four years old and then continuing on as they get older, That can actually change our experience of, like, actually change our experience of that jealousy. And I know that I can say, for personal experience, that has been the case for me in my relationships with my partner's other partners, um, or them going on dates or having sex with people. That at first, those things, you know, even if I was intellectually okay with them, evoked a little bit more of like an emotional, physical jealousy response or a fear response or like a competitive response, something like that. Um, but as I've gotten to know sort of non-monogamy better and I've gotten to know, you know, some of my partners better and also just kind of had more experience and kind of learned through experience and seeing like, better, well, yeah, knowing myself better and kind of seeing what things what things aren't actually the threats that I may have thought they were, that that has changed how I actually feel about that jealousy. It doesn't mean I never feel it, but it's like the volume on that in certain situations is turned way down. Um, And like that I, just cause I have this different perspective. And I think that that for me reading this thing about the four year olds, I was like, Oh my gosh. Yeah. We're all like those four year olds (laughs) who are just having to learn like what things aren't threats
0: (laughs) like it's not about learning
2: what things are threats but like learning what things aren't threats Mm. i think that's that's a very powerful thing that we can take with us into our lives a
0: four-year-old can do it we can all do it (laughs) yeah Yeah, come on everyone
2: (laughs) yeah so we would love to hear from all of you um what your experience has been with this do you have things in your life that you were jealous of that you're not now what what do you feel like changed for you about that um, or what kind of car is your jealousy? We would love to hear <laughs> either one of those. Um, and the best place to do that, the best place to share your thoughts with other listeners and with us is in this episode's discussion thread in our private Facebook group or in our discord chat. You can get access to these groups and join our exclusive community by going to patreon.com slash multi In addition, you can share publicly on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. You can email us at info at multiamory.com. Leave us a voicemail at 678-M-U-L-T-I-05. Or you can leave us a voice message on Facebook. Multiamory is created and produced by Dedeker Winston, Emily Matlack, and me, Jace Lindgren. Our episodes are edited by Mauricio Balvanera. Our social media wizard is Will McMillan. Our production assistant is Nicole Samra. Our theme song is Forms I Know I Did by Josh and from the Fractal Cave EP. The full transcript is available on this episode's page on multiamory.com.
1: Save big money and transform your
2: home with new appliances now at Menard's. We offer the lowest prices and the largest in-stock appliance selection. Ready to take home today. Check out top appliance brands, including KitchenAid, Maytag, Whirlpool, Amana, and
1: Criterion.